Good morning. A what without a how is a sure route to frustration. Fortunately, uh, biblically, we're not just provided with what God wants of us, but we're supplied with how we can go about doing the what that God would have us to do. Uh, that's certainly, and we'll find in the case with Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul tells us both what we're to do and how we are to do it. Look what he says and writes in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Paul writes, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. If you look on the back of the sheet, you'll find two lists. One's called the works of the flesh, and the other's called the fruit of the Spirit. Let's just just notice those briefly. Sexual immorality is a generic term for sexual sin of any kind. Impurity, a state of moral impurity, especially in relation to sexual sin. Sensuality is lewdness, crude, and offensive behavior, behavior completely lacking in moral restraint. Idolatry is the reverence and worship of idols. Sorcery, the use of spells and potions of magic, often involving drugs in those days. Enmity, hostility, antagonism. Strife is quarreling and dissension. Jealousy is craving, zealous ill will. Fits of anger, wrath, fury, anger, a state of intense displeasure based in some real or perceived wrong. Rivalries, faction, strife, resentfulness based upon jealousy and implying rivalry. Dissensions are divisions. Divisions are sex and heresies. Envy is contempt and disdain. Drunkenness is drunken behavior and orgies or excessive drinking and unrestrained sexual activity. That's one list. Uh, it's called the works of the flesh. There's another list called the fruit of the spirit. And this is love, the act of love, 
his people are to have for God, each other, and even enemies, joy. means to be glad or to rejoice, peace, harmony, lack of strife, reconciliation, patience, forbearance, the capacity to live with tension, kindness, usefulness, suitable and appropriate behavior, goodness, virtuous, generous behavior, faithfulness, actions based on trust, gentleness, meekness, and humility, and self-control, self-restraint or abstinence. So, um, and what we find here in what Paul says, uh, if you look at those lists, if you want less of column A, the works of the flesh, the way to do that is to walk by the Spirit. But it says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you want more of column B, if you want more of the fruit of the Spirit, the same thing applies. You walk by the Spirit, so the what? Paul talks about are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. That's the what. The how is walk by the Spirit. So, what does that mean? Uh, there's a number of things we might associate walking with the Spirit with. Some talk about subjective hunches or conviction of sin or supernatural phenomena. What does Spirit influence look like? And what, how does Spirit influence work? When I was on staff with a Christian organization right out of college, uh, they had part of their... Um, beliefs was that you need to be filled with the Spirit, which is very true, biblically. The Spirit is the transforming agent. So figuring out how to be influenced by the Spirit is critical. And I was with a campus student organization that that talked about this, and what they described it as is that when you sinned, then you took over the influence and you dethrone the spirit. So they had the sense that there is a chair in the middle of your life. Whoever chair sits on the chair directs the life. And when you sin, you sit on the chair and you dethrone the spirit. And what you have to do then is you have to confess your sin. And when you confess your sin, that's you stepping off the chair and the spirit getting back on the chair until you sin again. And at which time you've dethroned, and, and it felt a little bit like musical chairs. But, but that's, it was an attempt to understand how the influence of the Spirit works. And oftentimes, when people talk about the Spirit, it's talked about conviction of sin. Is that what the Spirit does? Again, we have to figure out how this works. Because if we want to do less of column A, We have to walk by the Spirit. If we want to do more of column B, we have to walk by the Spirit. So it's important we figure out what exactly does this mean. Um, Looked at some, in fact, I had a conversation with a guy once, and he was really liked the whole approach of grace. But he had some concerns, some family members were pulling on him, and they gave him a book. And it was a book by this individual. Um, well, anyways, it was a good guy. He showed this book, and so uh, he gave me this book. And this book was a was an attempt to fuse disciplines 
the things you have to do, like Bible study and fasting, with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the disciplines. And so he said, um, my wife wanted me to give you this book and so you could kind of figure out. <laughs> so I said, here's what I want to do. And the book talked about it was an attempt to figure out how transformation occurs. I said, do you know if this has, and I was talking to him, do you know if this has a index with scripture verses? And I said, let me see the book. In the end, it has an index of scripture verses. I said, great. Here's the deal. If this book is a serious attempt to talk about how transformation happens, I'm going to need to see Galatians 5, 16 through 18 in here. And not just a little bit. I'm going to need to see a lot. Because Paul here describes how it works. And so I flipped to the the index, and there it was, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Turn to page 90, a paragraph. Closed the book, gave it back to him, and I said, this is not going to be helpful for me. It's not going to be helpful for you either. It's... We need to understand what this verse says. And throwing a paragraph out, it doesn't help. Another book um, talked about the, and a good guy, the, the spirit's influence is subjective impressions. So when you have a sense that you need to call this person or do this thing, that spirit influence, okay, that might happen, but are we putting all our eggs in that basket? Subjective impressions? What exactly does walk by the Spirit mean in this passage? And that's what we're going to do. Let's try to zoom in on this. Let's zoom in on this and see what we can figure out. Um, flesh and Spirit are sometimes ref- sometimes referred biblically to physical and non-physical. Flesh is physical. And spirit is non-physical. Is that's what it means? Is that what it means in this passage? That the flesh, your physical desires, are opposed to spirit, your spiritual desires. It gives the sense that the body is bad. And the non-physical things are good. Is that's what it means? I don't think that's what it means in the context. It's not what Paul has in mind. When in this text, the flesh and spirit are, I think we could call them desire generators. We are inhabited, I guess, by a couple of desire generators. Look what it says. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. So whatever the flesh is, it generates desires. Can we agree on that? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, the desires produced by the flesh, the desires produced by the spirit are opposed to one another. And how do you know when you are gratifying the desires of the flesh? It's easy. You see the works of the flesh. And so that's where that list, list A, comes into place. When you gratify the desires of the flesh, those are the kind of things you're going to see. When you gratify the desires of the Spirit, those are the kind of things you want to see. Um, okay, the problem is, as Paul writes to these individuals, the desires of the flesh can dominate and animate those who 
are professed Christians. This is what's going on in Galatia. What Paul writes is in the last week we saw, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What Paul is dealing with with this group of believers, an influence has come. And because of this influence, it, their church started to look like, we talked last week, is like a, it's like a Christianized version of the walking dead. They're biting and devouring one another, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually. So I guess there's a, there's a question. How did this happen? They were loving one another. It was working. Really was. They, they, they felt good about their relationship with God. They felt good about their relationship with one another. They felt good about their relationship with Paul. Then all of a sudden, something happened. They stopped walking by the Spirit. They started walking by the flesh. And they started to bite and devour one another. Things fell, things fell apart pretty quickly. How does it happen? Paul gives us a clue. What he says in verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. I'm going to suggest a definition for flesh and spirit, and I think it fits. Um, Flesh is human nature under the old covenant. It says, those who are led by the Spirit are not under law. The law is the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. So flesh is human nature under the old covenant. Spirit is human nature under the new covenant. When you believe that you are blessed when you obey and cursed when you disobey, the desires that are created within that operating system are called the desires of the flesh. And they're not good. They can, there can be Christianized versions of them. That's what happens in Galatia. But they're not, they're not good. So this is, so flesh is human nature under the influence of the old covenant. Spirit is human nature under the guidance, under the jurisdiction of the new covenant. When you understand that Christ died so that we might come under a new covenant, that to the degree that's understood, then we walk according to the Spirit. That seems to be what Paul says here. What happened in this place, the missionaries that came in on Paul's, after he left, they were arguing that circumcision, dietary laws, and holy day observances were something that believers in Christ need to do. And so the Christians in Galatia said, oh, okay. Paul said that we were children of God when we believed in Christ, but these people know the Bible, and they're telling us that if we really want to know God, we have to do these other things, circumcision and festivals and yitty yitty. And so they did that. And when they did that, they had no idea what was happening. What was happening? They were going from the realm in which the spirit operates to the realm in which the desires of the flesh. And it 
happened really quickly that the love that they had over there disappeared over here. And they didn't even understand that it happened. When Paul talks about these people, he said, you, you were really running well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? I remember, there's, I forget what Olympics it was. I think there was a, um, a woman, I think her name was Mary Decker Slaney. And I believe she was running the 440 of the 800. I think it might have been the 800. And somebody cut in on her and forced her into the infield. And you re I remember the picture in Life magazine and different things. She was horrified. She had trained for years and years. Somebody cut in on her, and she was in the infield, and you could see she was crying out. Uh, she had been cut in on. The problem in Galatia, these Christians had been forced to the infield, but their legs are still moving. They still think they're running the race. They, they're not horrified. They think we're doing good. But Paul writes, everything's falling apart. Those who are led by the Spirit are not under law. Um, we don't struggle with circumcision from a spiritual perspective. Um, we talked last week, and we're not going to talk much. We do struggle with other aspects of old covenant law. Tithing is almost universally taught in churches as binding. And that is part of old covenant law. Again, we talked about um, giving out of the heart is necessary. We couldn't exist. But applying the promises relating to tithing on this side of the cross, no. That's that's a different covenant. Um, when we lapse into covenant confusion, the desires of the flesh wax and the desires of the spirit wane. Jesus died so that we might come out from under the old covenant. We're going to celebrate communion. And what communion is about? This is the covenant in my blood. This is the blank covenant in my blood. What covenant? New that's what it means to be a Christian. It's to come out from under the old covenant and come under the new. The flesh, the spirit, what it says in Romans 7, 4 through 6. Paul writes in Romans, by the way, that's where we're going to go in two weeks. We're going to look at the book of Romans over the course of the finish of the winter and the spring. It's as far as books are concerned, it's the high point of Paul's writings. The number of movements through history in the church that have moved the church towards health have all come from Romans. So we're going to take a look at it. It's going to be a really good series, uh, beginning in two weeks. <clears throat> Paul writes, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. Again, you find the same thing. While we're living in the flesh, he's not talking about this. He's talking about the spiritual operating system. And he's puts together the desires of the flesh in living under law. Um, 
while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Talked about this last week, but uh, it describes a couple different places where we can exist. Um, it says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. It's describing what happens here, awfully what it. It says, we can be married to old covenant law, or we could be married to Jesus under the new covenant, but we can't be married to both. That's polygamy. You can't be married you can't be you can't be under this covenant and under this covenant at the same time. It's it's one or the other. And what he describes is life under the old covenant, it sinful passions are aroused by the law. That's what he says. So what ends up happening, we go from awfully wedded to lawfully widowed. Um, Paul writes, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You know what happens at the cross? It changes our relationship to the Mosaic law. That's what being a Christian is about. You move to being under the jurisdiction of this law, to not being under the jurisdiction of this law. And, and what that means then, you're not blessed if you obey and cursed if you disobey. That's what this covenant dictates. What does this covenant dictate? You're blessed when you believe. You believe. You're children of God through faith in Christ. Um, we go from lawfully wedded to lawfully widowed to happily married. It says, now that we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So what it's saying, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. It's the simplest depiction of what it means to either walk in the desires of the flesh or walk in the desires of the spirit. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. You listen to me. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. That's pretty straightforward. Would you agree with me? It's pretty straightforward and simple. I don't understand why it's not talked about. And books talked about being filled with the Spirit. How could you not talk about this? I really, I, I kind of understand it, but I don't. That's why I asked that guy, let's see the index. It's got to be there. And if it's not there, I don't need to read the book. This is critical. This is not, it seems to be, well, come on, Mike. This is just, a, it's not a little thing. It's a really big thing. It's the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit is in understanding this. It's not okay not to understand this. It's not okay not to talk about it. It's not okay. Flesh is human nature under the old covenant. Spirit is human nature under the new covenant. 
what he says in Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. According to the Bible, and again, I want you to listen to me, behavior matters. It really does. Behavior matters. What he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And what it says in Galatians, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what it's talking about, column A things, if that's what is being produced on and on and on, Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who do practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, you know what that means for me? I understand the what. What that means for me, I need to understand the how. If we're going to do less of column A, we have to know the how. And it's important to know the how. Because when you walk by the Spirit, you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, it doesn't mean you don't do them, but less and less and less. Would you agree with me it's important to know how? It's really important. Behavior matters. That's why don't deal softly with sin. How do you deal aggressively with sin? Walk by the Spirit. That's how. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is what we need to do. And so we need to talk about it. We need the right how. We need a strong how. It says in this verse, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's a question. How does the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body? How does that happen? It gives us a clue here in Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know how the Spirit of God puts to death the deeds of the body? According to this verse, we have not received a spirit that makes us slave again to fear. The Spirit of God does not frighten to death the deeds of the body. He does not hold the fear of judgment over our heads to try to get us to obey. The Spirit of God does not frighten to death the misdeeds of the body. He fathers to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are children of God. That's how to deal with the sinful nature. That's how we deal. We end up relating to God not as slaves to a master, but sons and daughters to a father. And you know what happens when we learn to do that? 
We become gentler with ourselves and others. And guess what that leads to? Love. That's how this whole thing works. The Spirit of God does not frighten to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit of God fathers to death the deeds of the body. Does behavior matter? It does. And how does God create the environment in which our behaviors change? He puts the threat of curses over us, right? No. That stopped at the cross. On this side of the cross, he removes the curse, assures us that we are sons and daughters of God, and as we believe that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control begin to surface. Wrath, anger, dissensions, factions, drunkenness, carousing, envy, distortion, indeed, that decreases as we understand that we are sons and daughters of God. That seems to be, that seems to be too good to be true. It's what it teaches. We didn't make this up. We didn't figure it out. He did. And it seems to be that that's what, when we believe we are under the jurisdiction of the old covenant, we relate to God as slaves to a master. Within this insecurity, the works of the flesh are produced. When we believe that we are under the jurisdiction of the new covenant, we relate to God as sons and daughters to a father. Within this security, the fruit of the spirit is produced. Uh, very briefly, I was, I, I like psychology. And so when I was in, um, uh, when I was in China, I, I got this book. I've talked about this before, before about the impact of whether a church, whether, I'm sorry, not church, whether a child is securely or insecurely attached to the mother. When a child is secure in the fact that his or her caregiver, particularly the mother, is going to be cooperative and is going to be available, especially to soothe the child. When that child is confident of being loved and cared for, the things that grow up in the context of that security are, and I saw four things, and I remember looking at this and saying, this is self-esteem. When a child is confident of being cared for, they feel good about themselves. An infant, the mother is the world to the infant. And when the infant, in crying out and wanting to be hugged, when the mother is not perfect but is more often than not responsive, the child gets the sense, I must be pretty important. This person represents the world, and I ask them to come, and they come. I must matter. Self-esteem, self-control. When this child understands that he isn't alone, she isn't alone, she can doesn't have to get what she wants right now or he wants right now. Self-control comes from, I don't have to sweat it. There's somebody who cares about me. And they never leave me alone for that long. So, therefore, I don't have to demand what I want because the source of what I want is going to be there. Self-esteem, self-control, mastery. If I know that I'm cared for, I don't always have to check my back. And I can learn about things. I can 
You know, I can learn how to use this thing. <laughs> I can master things. I can read. I can learn about things. If I always have to be checking to see whether I'm okay, if somebody is, you understand how this would work? If you always have to see you're safe, you really can't learn. Self-esteem, self-control, mastery, and empathy. Somebody who is secure has a sense relationships are good. When I looked at that thing, empathy and self-control, those are the bookends of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think the Spirit of God functions in exactly the same way. You know what he tries to create in us? A mental representation of his responsiveness to us. He wants you to understand that he will never cast you adrift. And he will never leave you behind. What will happen? What happens as we believe that? It provides us a sense of being loved. And we want to love others. Just like this child who's secure in the care of a mother, a person secure in the love of God the Father, it creates a sense of being loved and wanting to love and self-control. All these things are the byproduct of understanding what covenant we're under. Is he going to bless you if you behave or curse you if you disbehave? That's off by a covenant, folks. And under this, the desires of the flesh are going to be preeminent. And it's not going to work well. We are under this covenant. And he says, you are my son and daughter. To the degree we believe that, what ends up happening, the fruit of the Spirit increase. And the works of the flesh decrease. It's all about covenant clarity. Okay, how do we apply this? Try to be very practical. Application, then we're going to do communion. First, keep coming back. In order to walk by the Spirit, you must remain in a place where you can live in covenant clarity. Covenant clarity doesn't happen overnight. Would you agree? doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But it feels to me, this way it feels to me, covenant clarity doesn't come like a flood. It comes as raindrops. That as you hear it again and again and again and again, it starts to soften you. You start to become less afraid of God. It doesn't happen overnight. But over time, therefore, we're never going to stop talking about this. Why would we? It's the difference between flesh and spirit, covenant clarity. Um, you will not always want to live in covenant clarity. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, it seems preferable to just, let's, let's black and white this thing. Don't, don't develop covenant clarity because it feels good. Develop it because it's the truth. It's what he says. It's what he wants us to believe. Sometimes it's going to feel good. Sometimes it isn't. We don't do this because of how we feel. We do it because it's what he says. So keep coming back. Keep coming back. 
keep coming back. And it'll shift in a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and you'll find next year you'll be a little bit, it'll be a little bit more easier to walk in the Spirit than it is this year. And then that's the way it works. Uh, rely on what is true. We have people, and I understand that um, one guy, we talked to a good guy, um, said, I need to get a punch in the nose every once in a while. And so he went somewhere else, and I get that. I understand because he looks at his behavior, and he says, I need to get a punch in the nose. I need for somebody to get up and do this to me. And he says, That's, that helps me. No, it doesn't. Again, I'm not going to argue with the guy. I understand what he's talking about. But he's, according to what it says here, um, if we're going to deal seriously with sin, I mean really seriously, What are we going to do? We're going to walk by the Spirit. Because being led by the Spirit is how we put to death the deeds of the body. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not just being nice here. It's not just not dealing. We're dealing with sin the way God tells us to deal with it. What he tells us is covenant clarity. That's the deal. That will allow us to do less of this and more of this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is, is this clear? What he's saying seems clear to me. Rely on what's true. Uh, develop a good yes and a good no. Covenant clarity is not a priority. When I day I talked to somebody who was at another church and and they were talking about it, went there when there were some good things, but then I had to say no a couple of times. It's great. It's exactly what you need to do. When you listen to the Christian radio, listen to stuff, but have a good yes and a good no. When it's off by a covenant, eh, off by a covenant. And that's, is that important to do? Is it important to do? Yeah, you don't have to yell at the guy, but just be convinced in your own mind, you know what, that's, yeah, that's not true. Not on this side of the cross. And you just need to be clear in, in your mind. Develop a good yes and a good no. Um, deal directly with sin. Deal directly with sin. We've talked about this before. And again, when you do something and when you mess up, you need to deal with it. We automatically believe that we're going to be judged or condemned when we sin. Again, sin is wrong. Okay, you know what to do with it then? We've talked about this before. Remember this. God in me. God's still, God's still in me. God's still with me. Good is still ahead of me, guaranteed. You know what that is? That's in the new covenant. So if you're going to deal with sin, sin is going to cause you, especially if you, if you mess something up, you're going to naturally believe, oh boy, I'm going to get it now. No, you're not. But you're going to believe this. So what you do, go back over here. How do you go back over here? You think about the new covenant, and here's what it is. It, here's what he says. I am still in you. He puts his law on our minds and writes it on our hearts. He says, I am going to be your God, and you're going to be my son. I'm going to be with you, or daughter. I'm going to forgive, be helios to your unrighteousnesses, and remember your sins no more. You know what that means? We need to, on the far side of doing something stupid, 
We need to think. You know what, God? I really wish I hadn't done that. But the fact is, you're still in me. And you're still with me. And good is still ahead of me. Guaranteed. That's what's true here. I want you to think about what you've done. You violated the commandments. Coveting, we've all done that. And when you're aware that you've done something wrong, I want you to, and again, we've talked about this, but I'll remember. I want you to say it after me. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. Can you remember this? When you do something wrong, I want you to think about this. What's the first one? Second. Third. Fourth. Why do you need to do that? Because it's really important to walk by the Spirit. It's really important. And so when you become aware of sin, get over here fast. It's going to pull you over there. Don't go over this side. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good is still ahead of me. Guaranteed. I did wrong, but I have not rescinded any of your promises because your promises aren't dependent on what I do. They're dependent on what you did. And now I live under a new covenant, and that's what communion is all about. This is the new covenant in my blood. So what I want you to do, go to get the elements there in front here and in back, Grab the bread and the juice, and when you take it, I want you to think of four things. Can we be thankful for that? Oh, God, yes. Pray for us in just a second. If you are, if you haven't signed up for the seminar this week and you would be available to come, I encourage you to do so. We'll talk about things related to this, entering God's rest, walking by the Spirit, or walk hand in hand. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your truth. And um, would you allow us and cause us to be able to be mindful of the things that you would have us to be mindful of? You have created a new covenant and you would have us be mindful of it. You tell us that as we understand and recognize that that's how you relate to us, that's how we walk by the Spirit, and it does change us. It might not change us quickly in the way that we would want to change, but it changes us in the way you would want us to change. We become gentler with ourselves, gentler with others, less afraid of you. We speak more freely with you. We enter your rest. But ask that you would allow us to continue to 
change and to understand this little bits by little bits. I really wish that it happened all of a sudden, but it doesn't. It takes time. Thank you for um, the opportunity we have to learn about this together. In Jesus' name, amen.